return to the narrative as it is, just to simply listen to it and its tempo and God's goodness, because all of it speaks to him and to what he's done. And so we remember in Genesis 2, and we'll read just those first few verses, here we have that, that fulsome or more full account of the, the creation of man and of the woman and his bringing of them together. And so maybe we hear that at a, a wedding service. But, but again, having to pause and stop and say, what are we saying when we say, I believe in six-day creation or I believe in a God who has made all things? And so let's be mindful, not just our high school students, but all of us, and even as we heard it in that last hymn, how this speaks then, something forward to the Savior that we put our trust in as well. So let's hear these words, and then we'll turn over to Hudber Catechism, Lord's Day 9, together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, above the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold... 
I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed that seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's also turn to that faithful summary, the Hutterberg Catechism, page 876 in the back of your Trinity Psalter. And to just one word which speaks a lot concerning what we believe about our Father. So Lord's Day 9, page 876, left side of the column there, or the left column. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Thus far, our confession. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we come before you in your mighty and awesome and awful works of creation, Father, we rejoice and give you all praise and glory in the economy of the Trinity that this is your work for which we give you praise. And so, Father, we ask that as we consider the works of your hands, Father, that we would be ever more mindful of you, that, Lord, we would give you thanks, that our trust would be founded in you, and that, Lord, as we consider then the story of the creation that we speak, Father, may it always lead to you and your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what is the meaning of the cosmos? Where have we come from? Why does anything exist? Why does anything have being? How has everything come to be? Maybe it's a little too early. We need a little bit more coffee yet before we really give ourselves to the consideration of those kinds of questions. They're big questions. They're weighty questions, but they're also real ones. These are questions that people seek understanding in, that philosophers have given themselves to these questions for centuries, foundational questions. And yet even as I ask them, and I look around at you a little bit, already there seems to be a little bit of wonder on your faces. Why would we even take the time to ask those things at all? I mean, kids, when, when your parents ask you a very obvious question of which you know a very obvious answer, you get a little bit annoyed because, well, of course, everybody knows what that answer is. And so for us in the church, as Christians, those who give themselves to the authority of the Word of God, of course we know that answer. Don't we all know? the very reason and meaning and origin and source of all life. We know that it's God. So why take the time? 
Why would we even ask these kinds of basic foundational questions? Why would we take the time to consider that which, frankly, we don't even really think very much about anymore? This is how it's happened. It's what the Word says. Let's move on. Let's talk about different things. But I tell you, friends, that what you take is very basic and foundational, that thing you don't really even need to think very much about at all anymore, is still a radical thought to this world. That this thing of which you take absolute assurance in, and something that you believe to be just as plain as the nose on your face, is anything but to an unbelieving world. It's still radical, wholly countercultural, extremely difficult, different, excuse me, and perhaps even ignorant in the estimation of many. And so because of that, it can lead us then to, to just not really talk about it amongst ourselves, And ultimately to hold to a truth that we've just tired of trying to speak and whether it's a creation versus evolution argument, whether there's a reason for all things, if God has a will for all things, we just stop talking. And that's a problem. Because the account of the creation is still good news. It's a part of the gospel. It's a part of that foundation that has to be straight for everything else to be straight. We need to be reminded that we have a testimony to give and a story to tell because there is one who has made all things visible and invisible. I mean, already in Genesis 1-1, you are saying something so radically different and contrary to a depraved mind. There is a God who has made all things, who is in control of all things, who sustains all things, who we can know. You're setting the stage for the rest of the gospel. There is one who has made all things visible and visible. There is one who is the source of life and purpose. So again, consider what you are saying when you say every Sunday, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You are making a bold claim of a firm assurance. But again, it seems such a simple sentence. But again, hear what you are saying. There is one creator, and you live a life of faith in him as you submit to him, to his power and to his authority, to his creativity and care. And so now I pray that those wheels are moving in your head as you consider what you are saying now to a world that believes that that this all came to be by random happenstance, by a big bang over millions of years, simply by chance. That there is no fate, that everything is just a matter of man's free will and all of his own decision making. No, you're saying more. You get to speak a truer and a better story. And what better time to speak that than right now? as those snowflakes fly, as people start thinking, what is my life about? And what does it matter? And after the receiving of all of that stuff that still leaves in emptiness, what what is going to fill this hole in me? And what it is is a person who provides that meaning because he has made all things 
and cares for all things. We get to say with the psalmist in Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is a man that you are mindful of him? This kind of God over all of the cosmos, over all things visible and invisible, cares for me personally. And not just for me, but for all of the things that he has made. What is man that you care for him? We tell the world we believe in a God who has made all things, but more has made himself known that way. That his fingerprints, that his signature is on all of it. He's made himself known, and yet we get the opportunity then to say, as awesome as all that is, hear this word that he has given Hear how he speaks all of it and what he has done and why it is good and why it was broken and why it will be good again. That's the message. And so we make him known, even as he has made himself known as one to be praised for all of his mighty works, for all that he has fearfully and wonderfully made, for all of his works on behalf of the children of man, so that we might be called the children of of God. And so all of that praise and all of that wonder starts at the beginning. It starts with that confession, I believe. That's the story we speak. And so what do you believe about a father who has made all things and who makes things beautiful in his time and who will make all things new? What do you believe about God, about the beginning, about his purpose for all of heaven and earth? That question has to be answered at the beginning of our story. Not just the beginning of time, but the beginning of the way in which we speak the gospel. As we share the truth of God, not just in the message of creation, but also as that impacts then the fall and that redemption and that future consummation of all promises. So we have the privilege in hearing in this word today that we share the story of the Creator that people would come to one true God and be saved. That's why we share it. That's why we speak it. And that story then of creation, and certainly even as we've read those first verses in chapter 2 of rest, that comes to us, that story then is one of totality, and it's then one of trust. But it's all his. Every square inch cries mine. All of it is what he has made. And so hear it again in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He has no beginning, but he says, I'm going to make one. In the beginning. Not by anything else, but just because he speaks it. Just because of his will, his desire, one who always has been, a triune God, always the only uncreated, speaks ultimately, I want to be known. I make myself known. That if you consider so many other world religions, there is an utter unknowability about God, a mystery that is always to be preserved. And while there is so much about our God that is mysterious, even in speaking that in the beginning, it's saying, I want you to know me and where you've come from and what I have for you, and what I'm working. 
He plots that out, revealing himself that we might know him. And so we know as the good confession students that we are of what they speak to us. We know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. Since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, his eternal power and his divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20, all these things, hear it, which is this interesting bit. Why does he want to make himself known? Enough to convict men and leave them without excuse. Not only does he say, I know you, but I am to be known by you. He's already laying out a standard at the beginning. Even before the account of sin, even before all of that unfolding of that which is decreed, here's the truth. And yet second, he makes himself known to us more openly by his holy and divine word. As much as we need in this life. So again, we don't have everything. So even in those conversations where I have to come up to somebody and say, I don't know but it's what God's word says and I believe it by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I don't have every answer, but I have as much as I need for his glory and to know the salvation of his own. And so it's this God who gives us his creation account as one who knows us totally and desires that we would come totally to know him, to acknowledge him, to reverence him. That by way of repentance and faith that he has worked in us in his son, his word, and his spirit. We would come already at the beginning to an understanding of submission. Because if he is God and he is uncreated, then I am not because I'm just creation. He is the creator who alone is to be praised. And so we see a few totals within this text that we've read this morning. He brings forth a total creation, how? Just by his word, by speaking. Genesis 1-3, and God said, he just spoke, let there be, and there was. Let there be, and there was. And yet that word, as we know from John 1, is what? So when you're sitting there saying, how are you linking creation to salvation, who is that word? John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That even in the making of the light and the dividing of the light and the darkness, God sees that it is good. This is the work of His Son continuing, ongoing. And so the joy and the wonder in what God has made totally, just by speaking it. And so that becomes then a part of our confession of a total creation out of nothing. The word in the old books, ex nihilo. That he doesn't need anything to make anything. And that sounds weird to us children, doesn't it? Because anytime that we're going to make something, we need stuff. If pastor's going to bake a cake, there has to be flour and sugar and butter and a number of other delicious things. I can't just speak a cake, right? For you, I love when you share with me your artwork. 
In fact, I love being able to see my kids' burgeoning pottery careers on the shelves in my study, right? Like, there it is. But they have to have clay, and they have to have paint, and there has to be a kiln. You make snowflakes at Christmas. i got to have paper. i got to have scissors. Snow fort. Please, God, send some snow this year so we can actually do something of substance. I have to have stuff. God doesn't need anything. We believe that the Father created heaven and earth and all other creatures from nothing. And so even when people speak of, oh, well, here's all of the bits and pieces that assembled themselves just in the right way at just the right time in order to bring forth life, you still have to come to that question, where did the stuff come from? It can't just be. And so we have good news for that. We have an answer for that. And so we believe that he created it when it seemed good to him by his word, that it's to say by his son, he given all creatures their being, form, and appearance, and their various functions for what? For serving their creator. He makes it all by his word. He makes it all out of nothing that it would serve him. And so it's the joy and wonder of being able to read Genesis 1, and we won't go all the way back through it, but looking and saying some of you really like musicals or plays or or dramas. And so here in the first three days, God makes that stage, the beautiful space for where all of this story of redemption is going to be played out. And then he puts in the props and the characters in order to live out that drama of the Scriptures. And he is the director. So a total creation by his word, a total creation out of nothing. It is a total creation then in his total control. Because he is not the God of the deists who just makes all the stuff and then leaves it and says, let's figure out what happens. No, 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 he knows the story. He knows what he's working. He upholds and rules over all things. He is, at that very speaking of the word, creation's king and Lord. This is my possession. This is why my name is on it. Mine. And so even now, because it is his, he also sustains and governs them all according to his eternal providence and by his infinite power that they may serve man in order that they might serve God. I am going to bless you as those who are mine so that you will serve my glory. And so he does that by way of what we call his counsels, by way of his will, by way of his decrees. And so we have the opportunity to speak to people of saying God does have a plan in all things. And even broken things and hard things will be worked for my good and for his glory. We have confidence because he is that kind of creator and that kind of sustainer. By way of his providence, as we'll look more at in the future, the outworking exercise of those will and decrees, the ever-present almighty power of God that he continues to exercise day by day, even amongst those who are using the very breath that he gives and the power that he gives in order to curse him. He's working through it for the purpose of receiving total glory. Everything made that was made for that one singular thing, it will be my glory. It will be my praise. 
but we've already studied that section in the catechism where, yeah, but there's brokenness, and there's sin, and there's rebellion. And so within that stage, now comes the outworking according to his counsel and his providence, the working of a total salvation. Not only will I be known by them, but I'm going to make them mine again. I'm going to redeem them to myself, that they would be mine forever. Because that's the beauty in our confession. Is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son? That this is what he's done. And even though I tried to break it in my sin, it couldn't be broken. And he restores it. And he fixes it. He doesn't just say, "Ah, I'll do it again. No, they're mine. And I'm going to give all thanks for them. And then in the end, I'm going to make it all new. And so what a blessing that we are able to speak that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence is mine. My God and Father, for the sake of Christ, His Son. That's the story of that kind of totality that we get to speak day by day. It's that which we get to live day by day. And so our story must acknowledge this. More than this, no less than this. We must acknowledge the Lord in the totality of His work of creation but it must also acknowledge that purpose. Why has he made himself known? That we would be his. That we would return to him in repentance and faith and seek the Lord and find life in him because that life is only found in Jesus. And so it must acknowledge his purpose in making us know this plain truth. That it is unto a total relationship of dependence and submission in the total love of the only one who totally rules over us and totally cares for us. And so we must know that our God has totally done all of this and more. And that we would trust him to keep it and us, even as we believe in one, able to do even more amazing than anything we hope and anything we could see through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it drives us in that understanding of that totality then, even here in Genesis 1 and 2, to an understanding of trust. It's a story of trust. If God has made all things, and he says they're his, he's going to keep them. And if I'm a part of that creation, he's going to keep me. And so even in the midst of struggle or hardship or woe, I have a trust that doesn't have to be shaken. Because the creation itself, as I look around and consider the birds of the heavens or the flowers of the field, when can I consider majestic mountains and grand canyons, when I see every vista, when I see field after field after field driving through Iowa and Nebraska makes you especially wonder of all of that food and all of that place, field after field after. This is the Lord caring for his own. He cares for that which is made. And so the very creation itself, 
What our eyes have been opened to see drives us to a trust founded in one who made all and keeps all. But it's more than about the stuff. Because a trust then, the creation drives us to trust directed in one who has brought us into relationship. I want to share with you my glory. I want you to see it. I want you to know it. I want you to experience it. And all of the smells and the taste, I mean, that's what Christmas ends up being for a lot of us. The smells of those foods and those tastes, that hug, that embrace, the smell of grandma's perfume, maybe good or not. Either way, there's that joy, right? And that wonder of all of these things that our senses are taking in. And we go beyond that in the things that we study and the things that he has made. And we are blown away by it. And God is saying, glorify me for it. It's all mine, and I've placed you in it, and I've given you a mandate to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it, to use the stuff that I've made for my glory, and I want you to praise me. That creation drives us to a trust provided in one who alone provides for us in all things. I trust God so much. It's the beauty in this Lord's day that I do not doubt he will provide the only time this word is acceptable, whatever I need for my body and soul. No matter what it is, I will provide it. I will give it if it is good. Because we have a trust fixed in one who is active in the exercise of power and compassion. Because I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. And so a God who has made a creation as vast and as intricate and as awesome and as glorious as it is says you simply need to trust me. As actors in that drama of redemption I want you to trust the director. In every bit of it, I want you to trust me. Because I'm able as Almighty God. Look, look what I've done in Genesis 1 and 2. No one can do this. I can. I'm Almighty. But I desire to do this because I want you. And I want you to know me. And I want you to see my glory. I want you to behold it. I want you to praise me for it. Not because you have to, although that is his call, but because you want to, because I'm faithful. I'm always faithful to you. And so that kind of trust then leads us to the story. What am I going to say about this Father, creator of heaven and earth? What is it calling me? What, is, what does it need to call all people to believe? I need to believe in his existence. That has to be first. You can't live in this world assured of any kind of afterlife or heaven or good things apart from recognizing that God exists. Hebrews eleven six 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him, forever would draw near to God, must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. It has to start there. What do I have to believe? 
believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Okay, there we go. What else? I have to believe he exists. I have to believe that he is at work by way of his way and word and power. I have to believe that. If I'm denying it, if I'm saying God doesn't care about me, God doesn't know what's going on with me, look at this bad luck that I have, I have an answer for that. I have a God who has made all things and cares for all things. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And you're like, you don't know my life. Maybe not, but I know Jesus. And Jesus is the outworking of Romans 8, 28. That in this time of year, we speak of the creation, that God sends himself into the very midst of that creation to work restoration and redemption in grace and love, to work real shalom and wholeness in him. He's working, and I need to believe it. Because that story of creation calls me to believe in his care, compassion, and tender mercies. And here, if you need a refresher, read the book of Psalms. Even hear it together here. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord is, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. And it continues from there. And so for me to say, God does not care. God hasn't done enough. Look at this world and how messed up it is. You don't know what's going on with me. I can look around and say every breath that I take in already is beyond what I deserve. Every movement, every gesture, every exercise of the will that he has given Anything and everything is directed to him because he's been good to provide for it. And so that's where we lead our unbelieving friends. He exists, he's at work, and he cares. So that our story of creation speaks then to that word who has been the beginning in his will to save sinners. Because why has he made the creation that he has made? Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's what all of this work is for. It's all directed at that one thing which allows us then 
And all of us, those who are found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own, as we share this story, we get to share something very awesome that comes at the beginning of chapter 2. Because in a world that is frenetically working at all times, working to find their identity, working for the weekend, working to have money, working for themselves, working to find they're all in it. Because God has done all of that work, and because we are his work, his craftsmanship, because of your story of creation, you get to call people to believe in rest. What an awesome thing. He has rested from his work of creation. He does it. I've made it. I keep it. I care for it. And so I call you to be faithful and to do that work. Six days, you're going to work. You're going to serve. But the seventh is for me. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Why do you think he needs to repeat it? <laughs> he has done. He is doing. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing you're going to create that God doesn't know altogether. But yet he's never stopped working his promise of recreation. And so he calls us to rest even as we take up our labor in his work of recreation. And so you hear that word, kids, and you're like, well, pastor, why did you put a hyphen there? Because it's recreation, right? Well, in a sense... We get to play now in the wonder of what God has done for his glory. Yes, it's work and it's work hard and it's labor and it's toil. But in creativity and blessing and praise and singing and coloring and pottery and all of these things. Gratuitous beauty just because we get to rest in him. Which is why it says in Hebrews 4, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore, and you're like, it's a work word, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Because there's that issue. I hear that command to work and now I'm going to make it mine. And now I take credit for things and I take glory for things and I find my dependence in my own. And God says, no, 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 no. I've made it all, I keep it all, I direct it all. And so I call you to trust and walk in faithfulness to me. So that our work is to trust. That our work every day is an exercise of trust. Why? Philippians 1.6, for I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus. And so we trust that in knowing this creation more, this God and Father for the sake of Christ, His Son, that all the promises of that word are true. And so a new creation is coming, even as He will usher in a new heavens and new earth. Revelation 21, 5, and He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, look, another word again. I am making all things new. Not all new things, I'm making all things new. And write this down, for this is trustworthy and true. 
And so, brothers and sisters, there's a lot more to say about it. But what we come to is a great story that we get to tell. Not just of that total work of creation by a holy God in six literal 24-hour periods according to his word. But also the why. Namely for our salvation and ultimately for his eternal praise and glory. So keep asking those first questions. They're going to direct how you live day by day. But keep answering them as well as you give testimony of your faith and love in trust and total dependence in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, a truth no less true in the Christmas season than it is now. And so, Father, we thank you for the gift and the wonder of Christ, the word the word who was that power, even in the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, who brings all things into being, in whom is life, and that life is the light of men. Father, might we be mindful of the story that we tell. And so, Lord, drive us back to the truth and the authority of your word again and again and again, but also bring us back in that relationship to praise you for the totality of what you have made and to praise you in an act of trust day by day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.